Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel, these words from St. John, the ninth chapter in particular, Jesus heard that they had thrown out the blind man, and when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And the man replied, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Dear friends in Christ, more than a few of you have had cataracts removed, some of you as recently as the past couple of weeks. A miracle indeed in our own day, I suppose one might call it, suddenly reversing through a very common surgical procedure that doesn't require a good amount of time for recovery. And suddenly eyes once clouded and eyes once blurred because of the cataracts. And suddenly, after a simple surgery, everything seems so clear with the kind of clarity that perhaps you haven't had for months or even years. Cataracts, coming from the Latin word cataracta, which means waterfall, as rapidly running water turns white, so also the lens of the eye turns white with age, doctors kindly referring to it as the appearance of, quote, mature ocular opacities. Some cataracts are age-related, some are disease-related, some are congenital. Whatever, all cataracts, if left untreated, can indeed cause blindness. And nowhere has that been more apparent for me, at least, in the last weeks than seeing what I saw recently on television, perhaps some of you did, in the National Geographic commentary I saw entitled Inside North Korea, where in order to get a rare glimpse of life behind this restrictive curtain and in this communist country that is more restricted perhaps than any other society on earth, a young lady with her cameraman accompanied a world-famous eye surgeon into North Korea on a six-day mission of mercy during which this doctor was going to perform a thousand cataract surgeries on young and old alike in North Korea. And through it all, she was able to get a glimpse of life there. But what's fascinating is her description of what they saw as these surgeries, these cataract surgeries were performed. She says, here children and old people alike had lived in the dark for years. All were hoping for a miracle. We witnessed Dr. Ruit and his team operate on more than 1,000 people in six days. It was an act of unbelievable stamina. It proved Dr. Root's deep-rooted humanity. And then the crucial day arrived. A thousand fearful and expectant patients with their eyes bandaged were all gathered into one room. What would happen when the bandages came off? Nobody knew. And everybody, including us, she says, held their breath. And Dr. Ruit went up to every single person, and he talked to each of them soothingly, and then he slowly took off the bandage. And one by one, we witnessed this miracle happening. Old women saw their grandchildren and children, their parents, for the first time after years in the dark. But then she says what was so remarkable was that immediately after regaining their sight, rather than thanking the doctor, people started crying and bowing and giving thanks in front of pictures of their dear leader, Kim Jong-il. 
and his father, Kim Il-sung, as hundreds clapped and cheered in unison. I never saw, she says, such an extreme personality cult before. And it was all filmed. I saw it, perhaps some of you did, on television. People receiving their sight and going right by the one who had given them that sight through the surgical procedure, not thanking him or even acknowledging what he had done, but going to two pictures posted on the wall of the dictators of North Korea, thanking them, bowing down before them, worshiping them. Obviously, miracles, even modern ones of that type, don't necessarily the right Messiah make. In fact, sinners that we are, we come to desire the miracles that the miracle maker makes even more than we desire the miracle maker often who makes them. We want these physical miracles to be happening all the times, all the time in our lives. Think about it. How often have you heard about these miracles of old, the grand and the glorious miracles that are reported by the prophets in the Old Testament or by the apostles in the New Testament? How often we've heard of them and we find ourselves asking God, why don't you act like that also in our day? Why don't you do for us what you did back in the days of Moses? Why don't you act as miraculously as you did in the times of the apostles, those epic miracles, Lord, how wonderful it would be if in our day we too could have those epic miracles like scripture, mighty miracles like those of old, if only God would. Oh, how many unbelievers, we think. If only he would act in that way, how many unbelievers would be believers? Really? Consider what Philip Yancey in his book entitled Disappointment with God says, he says, some Christians long for a world that's well stocked in miracles and spectacular signs of God's presence. I hear wistful sermons, he says, in the parting of the Red Sea and the ten plagues and the daily man in the wilderness as if the speakers yearn for God to unleash his power like long ago. But the follow the dots journey of the Israelites through the desert should give us all pause, he says. Would a burst of miracles nourish faith? Did it do so for those of old? Not the kind of faith that God seems interested in, evidently. The Israelites give ample proof, he says, that signs may addict us only to signs and not to God. And that's important for us to see today. If we're looking for a Jesus, as so many in our day are, a Jesus to be the miracle maker who merely waves his hand over every sickness that we have so that we always get well here on earth. And that's the primary reason that we're interested in him. Then we'll have far less than what he wants us to have. Even if we get our miracle of healing here on earth. If we're looking for a Jesus to wave his hands over our careers, over our businesses, our investments, our adventures, so that they'll be prosperous and successful, as so many in our day are, and as so many are promising in our day that he will always do, and that's the primary reason that we're interested in him, then we'll have far less of Jesus than what our Lord really wants us to have, even though we get our miracles of wealth here on earth. If we're looking for Jesus to wave his hands, over our troubles, 
and our ragged relationships as husbands and wives and parents and children and make them magically go away and disappear, and that's the only reason we're interested in him, we'll have far less of a Jesus than he wants us to have, even if we get our miracle of trouble-free relationships in this life. We have what he wants us to have when we see him as we here do, as Christ and him crucified for us, for the sinners of the world, because it's that miracle, the one that the world can't see. It sees but a man on a cross. We know what's happening there. It's that miracle above all miracles that makes him our Messiah. That's what he would have us see. The world is blind to that because it will not see it. Consider, for example, the, the blind man in our gospel for today. We would be blind to that as he was, were it not for the fact that God has worked faith in us to see what the world can't see. The beauty of a man on the cross, because the man is the man God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the man in our text for today. Blind from birth, he's healed by our Lord Jesus. And note, first of all, the man wasn't looking for a miracle to happen. He wasn't even asking for a miracle to happen. What was he doing? The man was sitting there, as he'd been doing for years, begging for money. Wasn't looking for a miracle. Blind from birth, he's healed by our Lord, but he's just sitting there, as he had every day for years, begging for alms as Jesus and his disciples happened to be passing by. And suddenly he becomes, little beknownst to him, becomes the object of a theological discussion. And the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? And they're trying to figure out why this man is like that. And they're theologically challenging him. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus knew what was going to happen and how he was going to work through this event. And then our Lord spat on the ground. And you can imagine the scene in your mind. As our Lord Jesus spat in the ground, and the disciples probably had seen that same look in his eye before, and they knew that something immediate was going to happen, and he spits upon the ground, and he takes his finger, and he rubs it, and he mixes this mud together. And he made this mud of the spittle, Scripture says, and he applied the mud unto the man's eyes, and he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he went away, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Did that miracle make Jesus the man's Messiah in the sense that the man recognized Jesus for who he was? Having miraculously, unexpectedly receiving the gift of sight, did the man suddenly then, having received that gift of sight, did he suddenly see Jesus as his Messiah, as the Savior of the world, long promised of old? No, he didn't. For not long after, his neighbors astonished by it all, asked him, how did this happen? Well, he says, this man named Jesus, that's what he thinks Jesus at the time to be. This man named Jesus made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. He's telling factually what happened. And he told me to wash in Siloam, and I did, and now I see. Notice to him at this point, his healer was but a man named Jesus. That was all. A miracle doesn't necessarily result in faith. It doesn't a Messiah make. 
Confused by everything that had happened, all of his neighbors brought him quickly to their spiritual leaders, getting guidance from them, and they asked the Pharisees, and then the Pharisees asked the man, well, how did you receive your sight? To which he replied, well, he put mud on my eyes, and now I see. An argument broke out among the teachers, the Pharisees, as to who this Jesus was, some saying that he was a great sinner for healing on the Sabbath, because that was their major concern. They overlooked the miracle altogether, and they were concerned about him healing on the Sabbath day, others saying that he was not. The miracle doesn't create faith in the Pharisees at all. It didn't at all. The miracle does not necessarily the Messiah make, you see. And finally they asked the man, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, well, he's a prophet. You know, if you're asked the same question over and over again and you get the same question coming back to you, you suddenly think, well, maybe I better add a little bit more to it. They're obviously looking for something more. And so he adds, well, he must be a prophet. But even that is not acknowledging him as the Messiah, the Christ promised of old. He still isn't seeing Christ for who he is. And sometime later, they called the poor, confused man back a second time, demanding him, give God the glory. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. So now the Pharisees are defining for him who they want him to say that he is. And what does man reply? Does he come out with his bold confession and say, no, he's the Messiah, long promised of old? No, exasperated, fearful, confused by it all, he says, whether he's a sinner, I really don't know. One thing I know is I was blind, and now I see. Though he gave credit to Jesus for his healing, he still doesn't see him as the sinless Son of God, as the Savior of the world. A miracle does not necessarily, you see, a Messiah make. And then at last, then at last the words of Jesus, the powerful word of Jesus, does what the miracle of Jesus wasn't designed to do, but it only prepped the word of God to do. And Jesus sought the man out, and finding the man after he'd been expelled from the temple, then what does he do? Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man demonstrating his lack of faith in Christ at that point said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You both have seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And then the man said, I believe. And he worshipped him, Scripture says. The word of Jesus doing it all. A miracle does not a Messiah make, but the word of Christ works the miracle of faith within us just as it did with you. And it was indeed a miracle, whether it was at the font or elsewhere, where our God worked that miracle of faith within you, it was his word working through the means he chose to accomplish that end. Miracles may open the eyes of the blind so that they see, but only the word of Christ opens the eyes of the seeing so that they may say, I believe. And so you see the miracle of faith in Christ, which God's Spirit has worked in you through his word. That's a miracle in your life that, be, that should be cherished and should be treasured as the greatest miracle of all, the greatest miracle that's ever happened to you. 
For even if we would never see another wonder of God worked in our lives, we would still know that we have that greatest miracle of all that was performed for us and on our behalf, that God's word has created faith in us so that we see he, Christ for whom he is, that we see Christ as him crucified, Christ who is able to do, Scripture says, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. When we know Christ for who he is, then we know also that he can indeed do miracles in our lives and that he will, according to his good will, and according to the measure of his time, work miracles in our lives. He knows our need for miracles of any kind far better than we know our own. He sees our hurting hearts. He hears us when we cry, why, Lord, has this happened to me? Why has this happened to someone I love? He knows the hurts that we feel, and he miraculously then works to give us the strength that we need to endure whatever we need to endure for as long as we need to endure it, as he accomplishes his purpose, and even through it all makes us stronger in our faith. Not long ago, there was on the Discovery Channel a special on the building of the Hoover Dam, which perhaps some of you have seen. Built in 1935 in the Colorado River, it's an engineering wonder. Hoover is what's called an arch gravity dam. In other words, it's designed to, so that the greater the pressure that's applied to the dam, the more it's wedged against the solid rock upon which it's built. The greater the forces against the dam, the stronger, in fact, it becomes. And so it is also with us. The force of our hurts, the pressure of our heartaches, they don't separate us from the love of God. To the contrary, God uses those very things, and this often is where the miracle is happening that only the opened eyes of faith can see. That often God will work through these very ways and in these very things to wedge us ever more securely and surely into the solid and the immovable rock of our salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ, who, as the psalmist said in today's introit, is our light and our salvation, the stronghold of our lives, of whom then, he says, shall we be afraid. Do you see? Do you see? Miracles may not a Messiah make. But our Messiah, Jesus Christ, still makes miracles, multitudes of them, in our day. Even as he sustains our faith, as he heals our hurts, as he daily governs our lives, giving us that which we need, according to his good will, for body and for soul. And as he does, may our response to Jesus always be the same as the man in our text for today. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. For that miracle of faith in seeing Christ is the savior of us all, is indeed the greatest miracle of all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.